0: You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. What's up, Denver? Chris Lopez here, and this is the first episode in our three-part mini-series on the fundamentals of what you need to know as a real estate professional and investor. I say fundamentals, I'm not talking about the brokerage lending debt side, I'm talking about the tax, legal, insurance, and estate planning side. So whole other side of the coin that is usually, you know, after the fact you close and often it's secondary thought to things, but it's very important. Now, this show has been in the making for a while because it's a very complex topic and we can go a very boring dry route and do hours and hours of PowerPoint presentation hard to consume and hard to know what to do. So as I've been talking with uh, my team here that I use for out of my personal stuff, we figured out doing a panel is gonna be the best way where we actually have three experts in the room talk about those four topics. And we'll do over three episodes of going through three avatars that should hit on the vast majority of main questions and scenarios that people go through. And I'm actually gonna mirror a lot of what I've gone through as an investor. So they'll be like, young Chris, uh, intermediate Chris, and more advanced Chris. And we'll go through each episode, highlight it, and talk about what that version of me needs to uh, know as I go out there and take in the fundamentals, tax, legal, estate planning, and insurance. So I got my expert panel here. Uh, the first one is Pam Moss Garrett with Law Mother. She's an estate attorney and been on podcast a couple times before. Glad to have you back, Pam.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Chris.
0: And our insurance expert is Bill McIntosh with Complete Protection Insurance. Bill, glad to have you here. Thanks for having me. appreciate it. And then last but not least is Byron Elliott with Three Pillars Law. Good morning, Byron.
2: Good morning. Thank you so much, Chris, for the opportunity.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm excited to be on here, guys. So this episode, we're going to go through, like, we'll say the young Chris avatar. So I'm going to paint you a picture uh, that what what I was in this phase of my life and very common to a lot of our agents. So... Self-employed, lower net worth, no dependents. You know, I have one rental that I had house where I lived in. I you know was doing a flip at the time, you know, and also getting my real estate agent license. So I was doing some active investing through a flipping. I was owned one rental and I was also getting in to be self-employed as an agent as a high level. So a lot of people can mirror that. I'd say the biggest difference between me and the general audience is self-employed versus W-2. But a lot of the stuff I think should not matter for that. So that's pinning the avatar there. Byron, since you're going to kind of take the lead on legal and some very high-level tax stuff, uh, you got voted to start off with here. <laughs> so I come to you, we start talking, you know, I'm working on this. Byron, I I don't know what to do or where to start, but here's what I'm doing. How do I, uh, you know, maximize my taxes and protect myself?
2: That's great. So <clears throat> this is a, a great example. We get this question quite a bit in terms of if I'm going to purchase a property, a piece of real estate, whether I'm going to hold on to it or in your scenario here, I'm going to flip it. Do I take title in this uh, in a limited liability entity form as opposed to in my personal name? So there's a couple of ways you can do this. Uh, a lot of times people like to use a limited liability company or limited partnership to take title to a property. From an asset protection standpoint, and this is for the flip or for the rental, it's really either one. To be honest okay. with you, um, you may shy away from doing it with the flip because the setup and establishment and the maintenance of an entity may not be worth you know the effort that you're taking if it's going to be a shorter term hold. But so let's focus on the rental. <clears throat> now, if you're taking title to this by yourself and it's not in the context of you know any form of partnership. Uh, Where you are as young Chris, I think you take a look at what your plan is, how often you're going to acquire property, and how segregated you want to keep your assets. And so, in this scenario, if young Chris knows that intermediate Chris and aged mature Chris is going to continue to gain properties again and again over time, I like to structure that in a way where I'll take title to each uh, property in a separate limited liability entity. And then over time, as I grow my portfolio, the owner of those various entities would be a holding company of some sort, <clears throat> which would also hold my interests in any passive investments, any other kind of investment opportunities. I try to keep my assets segregated that way for a couple of reasons. So
0: let me, let me pause in here because you, you said a lot. And when I was learning all this stuff years ago, this was a big concept to me. So every property has its own LLC. And then that LLC is owned by the master holding company. So the, I think the best visual way to think about it is think of a pyramid. There's a circle at the top, which is master holding LLC. And then below that are its children LLCs, which is property one LLC, property two LLC, property three LLC, right?
2: Correct. Okay. So a couple of reasons that I like to set it up like that. Um, One is just in terms of alienability. If you have a property in a separate holding company um, at the entity level, you know, when you choose to sell the property off, there's a couple of things that come into play one is if you're making some form of capital gain and you want to take a look at doing some some form of you know defer on the payment of that capital gain in the form of a 1031 having a separate id associated with that property is very simple to flip that into what they call a replacement property so i like i like the alien ability of that making making having the ability to manage that on a tax id level basis Um, and then again, you're adding a couple layers of asset protection between something that happens at the property level. Imagine somebody, you know, slip and fall on banana peel or something along those lines, you're going to have insurance. Um, but if for some reason there's a, you know, a cause of action out there that may exceed your insurance policy for the most part, that liability would be limited to whatever asset is in that entity.
0: Okay. Let me ask you a few questions here, and then we're gonna. I want to. We're gonna do start doing the roundtable stuff. So, you know, this is young Chris, no dependents. I have a very high risk tolerance. You know, I don't have many assets. So, do I need kind of skip out with like one LLC for that property, or should I go and set my holding company and then do it right from the get go? And also, I mean, just what's the cost to set up an LLC, and what's the annual, you know, fi- uh, commitments money wise to do LLCs? Because sure. that's going to come to a lot of people's evaluation. Is hey, what's
2: the The dollar out versus reward. Right. And so I would say, you know, for young Chris here, um, the individual rental in an LLC, that's just a personal choice. Do you want to incur the $100 it takes to set up the entity? You can usually get an operating agreement pulled together for a couple hundred bucks. You have to maintain it. So you file periodic annual reports. And then depending on how how you treat it for tax purposes, you may have to do a tax report. A tax return, a separate tax return for the company. So there's there's some costs and some maintenance associated with that, and that's more of a personal choice. What what really stands out with uh, the scenario here with young Chris is uh, doing a flip with a partner or co-investing with people outside the context of a limited liability company. So here's what I mean by that: Pam and I have a handshake deal, and we're going to partner on flipping a house and we both put our monies in, we've effectively formed a partnership, whether we have it written down or not, handshake agreement constitutes a partnership. And so that business arrangement is probably the most risky arrangement you can have because I can go out and I can incur debt on behalf of our partnership for which Pam can be joint and severally liable. Pam can go enter into a lease agreement for something and maybe I'm not party to that lease agreement because we're operating in context of a partnership, I can be liable. And I'm talking personally liable. So not Mm -hmm. limited to the assets that we're partnering on. It is my house, my office, my car. So it is literally the worst form of business arrangement you can have. And so in that scenario, I would absolutely suggest that you figure out the terms and conditions between the parties and form a, a business arrangement in the context of a limited liability company and capture your agreement and an operating agreement.
0: And so to kind of recap that, so LLC is generally the way most people go and usually was recommended, right? Simple LLC and have an operating agreement with clearly defined roles, expectations, all that.
2: Yeah, I think it's, it's probably the most favorable form of arrangement, you know. Um, it's flexible in terms of the terms and conditions. You can contract most provisions that you want. It's flexible for tax purposes, so you can either choose the default and be taxed as a partnership, or you make an election be taxed as an S-Corp or a C-Corp. So there's a lot of flexibility. Um, Really the only time that we don't use an LLC if there's some foreign investors coming in, participating in a deal. But other than that, I'm just, I I really like an LLC.
0: Yep, that's great. Okay, so LLC is very common on there. And I'm gonna switch over to you now, Pam, Mm -hmm. because, you know, still that same avatar. Um, I'm coming to you, I'm setting this up. And this was a real thing because I set up LLCs years ago uh and then a couple years later i actually came to you to come get my uh, estate plan set up and the llcs were not set, set up properly uh with my will and all that which was not ideal so there's lots to think about here but i come to you and that was a real experience what advice do you have for young chris when you're looking at me and how do i plan for the the big picture
1: yeah absolutely so i think the biggest mistake i see is people go online and they create an llc for all their real estate entities that they're setting up and then they don't realize that if they die or become incapacitated, it, they're really leaving a complete mess. So if you don't put an estate plan in place, your default plan is Colorado state's plan for you. If you own real estate here, if you own real estate in multiple states, you're going to be looking at probate process um, throughout the country with wherever you hold real estate. And the probate process, the default process, is often considered a lawsuit against yourself for the benefit of your creditors. And so it's going to be costly. It's going to be public. It's going to be time-consuming. And that real estate is really going to be tied up.
0: So, I mean, since I mean, since I have a low net worth, low assets, do I really need an estate plan or can I just get a will?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's your risk tolerance of, and what's important to you. I mean, you're investing your money into this real estate. And one of the partnerships that you own Um, you're not looking at how you have title currently, right? So, you know, you and I were chatting with us before we hit record. Um, That business partner that you were doing it with, he was married and he had kids. Um, And everything was titled in your name and your wife's name at the time, right? Correct. And so um, if something were to happen to him or you, we're looking at a really bad situation and from an incapacity and from a death standpoint. So normally at some point you want to put that estate plan in place. And I don't usually make it based on net worth. I like to really explain to clients, here's what's going to happen and how do you feel about it? And this is the investment and it's going to save a lot of time and money in the long haul. So I have clients who have drug addicted family members or they have children they want to protect or they themselves just want to protect it with their other business partners. And so it's really that risk tolerance that's what's important to you and understanding that there is a default plan that is going to cost a lot more money in the long run.
0: Um, And, you know, one of the things looking back, like, uh, you know, part of the reason I never did an estate plan was just, again, I didn't have dependents yet. And also I was like, hey, I absolutely don't need that, you know, that that legal expense right now uh, when I'm bootstrapping businesses' investments. But looking back now, I think that was a decision I regret because, you know, trying to, as I build stuff, it was all like disjointed, I feel like. And now I'm having to come back and really clean everything up. And so I'm paying, I think, like, a lot more now in terms of time. And I think some additional legal fees and restructuring fees. And if I set things up right, you know, hey, spend a, spend a few bucks back then would have saved me time and more than a few dollars now. So as like young Chris, we have a lot, a lot of listeners out there like that, that scenario, they can get a state plan up and they can it can grow with them as they add LLCs, add properties, or is it a brand new estate plan all the time?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it can grow with you. And I think kind of the foundational that you touched on was, you know, wills versus living trust. There's a lot of confusion. And so the will goes through probate in most scenarios and a living trust avoids probate. And so even when you have things in an LLC, it's good to have a living trust in the background, owning interests or being assigned interests to avoid that probate process down the road.
0: Okay. And we're going to link to, because we've done this in the past, I think it was actually end of last year, but we did a great podcast, 30-minute podcast with Pam on just like estate planning overview. That goes in all the details. I would recommend everyone listen to that. If you have not, uh, we'll link in the show notes, go check it out. It's just a great high level education. Um, I'm going to turn to you now, Bill, and I've got some specific insurance questions as I was uh, going down memory lane with these two. I, I had some some very vivid memories of what I was thinking about insurance back then. Um, so I did not do an LLC for my rental property back then, uh, cause here's my thought process. I have a low net worth and I was like, oh, I'll just have high insurance limits and get an umbrella on top of, it. you know, my idea was "Hey, I have the 500, it's usually a $500,000 limit on the landlord policy and then capture, you know, umbrella policy, say $1 million dollars to capture your net worth and, you know, round up. Yes. So that's what I did. So a question for you. And this is a I imagine a very low question. Is that a viable strategy? Hey, I'm just gonna make sure I have really good insurance as I'll minimize the need for an LLC. Uh
3: well, if you think about um insurance, you know, you always want to think you're covered, but something bad happens um and and you go in front of a jury, juries always feel fill, fill um sadness for the person who got injured or who got wronged. And so sometimes those juries go crazy and, uh, there's not an umbrella policy that would cover, um, your, uh, assets, um, in case something happened. And what I, I was looking at <clears throat> a few years ago, there was a uh, motor vehicle accident. I know it's a little bit different, but gives you the idea. Um, a, a semi truck was going down the road, uh, during a snowstorm did not do anything wrong. The person on the other side of the highway uh, slid out of control, slid through the ditch up underneath the semi-truck. And uh, they sued the semi-truck driver, the company, $14 million. Well, there's umbrellas that go that high, but you can't afford them as a new investor, right? So <laughs> yeah. uh, the LLC is pretty important in, in in controlling what you have out there, uh, controlling that top cost, you know, like saying okay, we're going to have to worry about the, the limited liability company instead of of me personally. you know. So I would suggest going as soon as possible to get the LLCs and, and things. Because even though you don't have anything, you can't afford the right insurance to cover you for everything that's out there. Or even if you had a lot of money, you couldn't afford the right insurance uh, to cover everything that's going to come your way.
0: So I go out there and get the insurance, have my LLC. Is that a separate place? an additional policy I have to get since I have like Chris Lopez and I have, you know, Chris Lopez rental LLC.
3: Yep. So it's the same, same insurance, uh, up until you get a lot of properties. Um, uh, so I would say under 20 properties, you're getting the personal insurance to cover you. You're getting a personal umbrella to cover you. It's just, you might, as you grow, you might get bigger and bigger umbrellas instead of 1 million might go up to 2 million might go up to 5 million. You know, once you get, more homes, but that LLC is going to protect you in case something really bad happens.
0: So Pam and Byron, I imagine you guys have some, anything to add on there for LLC versus insurance? Cause this is a, I mean, it's a question I went through and I have a ton of clients debate the same thing. So it's a very, very common scenario.
1: I always say, you know, work with a good insurance advisor like Bill and talk about what your potential risks are. um, From you know, my background's on the plaintiff's PI side. And so if you're concerned about those types of risks, good insurance is going to really, really take care of a lot. And I think the number one thing when i mean with clients is they think they have good insurance, but they went and did something online and they didn't really work with a trusted advisor like Bill who understands their business and understands exclusions. And so I worked on the insurance-defined this defense side as well. So I worked for insurance companies and that was kind of the number one mistake I saw investors make is they go and get a policy online and they don't realize they have kind of that false sense of security. So I would, I would look at the exclusions, work with a trusted advisor, make sure you have that coverage because okay. that's going to deter a lot of the types of claims. Um, Colorado is a premises liability state and you have a non-delegable duty. And so a lot of times I work with investor clients who, you know, you know, out here, the claims that are really popular for PI are slips and falls on snow, and you have a really, um, you have standards by statute by, based on your specific location. Um, but because we're a premises liability, you have a non-delegable duty. So even if you have a snow removal company, you're still going to be sued, and you're still going to want good insurance to defend you and be part of it. Um, now, if the snow removal company is at fault, they're going to take most of that hit. Uh, but a lot of people don't realize that they listen to these YouTube videos from people in Nevada or in other states, and they don't realize here in Colorado you're still going to be you're likely going to be personally sued even though you have the LLC. And so these are really tools in the tool belt. We want to have as much there to protect you um, because you're working so hard to build a portfolio that's going to last for the long haul.
0: One of the things that I might be confusing is because like I, I learned a lot the last years I've worked with you guys for my like, you know my personal stuff. What was that's that Colorado statute on premise?
1: Our premises liability. Premise.
0: So even if I go through some of these fancy, I go set up a, a Delaware LLC or Wyoming, Ola, Wy, Wyoming LLC, like a lot of YouTube people say, that Colorado statute is still going to basically like US override the, that? Is yeah, you
1: as a landowner are still going to be sued.
0: Yeah, okay. So, that, so going through those complex things is not necessarily going to be the best.
1: Uh, I mean, so as a new investor you're probably not going to go and spend $25,000 to set up like these very fancy. That's my my down payment. (laughs) Like, no, I got
0: to buy the property first.
1: But realistically (laughs) here in Colorado, if you own that property, you're still going to be sued because as a landowner, you're still on the hook. And then your first line of defense is going to be good insurance. And I think to Byron's point that he talked about is when you're in a partnership with someone that's not your spouse, you have other types of partnership disputes that are going to come up um, that can come up and really making sure. I think the value of the LLC, one is there's that kind of a little bit of that insulated liability of your personal and business assets. And then the other big thing, especially when you're bringing on partners, is kind of going down the route Byron's talking about where when that goes south. We all know divorces are bad, but business divorces are even worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those types of those types of risks, for sure. Okay,
0: so coming back to insurance stuff, I mean, obviously, like let's step from right from day one. I'll get my LLC. I should all that. Kind of walk me through the just the general insurance stack bill for this person. You know, for this avatar, I've got my individual house I live in. I've got one rental that's now an LLC, and then I've got you know. I'm doing some agent activities, some flipping activities, like what, what's the general insurance insurance stack you would recommend?
3: Okay. So I would start out, you know, you have your homeowner's insurance on your personal house. Um, you have, uh, your landlord insurance on your, uh, on your rental property. Um, and then you're, you look at your auto too, because if you're, if you're an agent, you're taking anybody around, you want to make sure your auto has uh, got high liability limits on there also. Does and, it need to be
0: special if I actually have people in my car? Is it different if I'm just, hey, I, I'm an agent, I drive around or have people in my car, or do I need like a business auto uh, policy? So,
3: um, you, uh, you can go with business use on your personal policy. Um, And I think because you're going to put an umbrella on top of uh, all of that, uh, that's going to be your coverage for it. Now, not everybody can use business use. If, if you're a, a, a contractor or something, you got all your names and everything on inside of your car, you can't use that business uh, use. But as a just realtor, um, you can use a business use and put an umbrella on top of that. Okay. And, um, and, you know, umbrellas are super inexpensive. You know, the, the, it's the, the underlying coverages that are going to be more expensive expensive and so you just have to get that right and, and 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 go through the pain because the longer you have those the lower cost that higher liability is so. okay so i'll have my homeowner's insurance for my house have my auto policy
0: and i'll see talk with you and kind of what tweaks i didn't make on there um i'll have an umbrella policy i think umbrellas for reference point what about three to five hundred dollars a year for a million dollar policy yes that's a yes. rough range so very inexpensive um, and then for the property that I flip, I would assume I just had homeowners insurance that property while I owned it as a flip, right?
3: Yeah. So depending on what you're doing as that flip, if you're, you know, painting it, making it look good, um, you could just do a regular uh, landlord uh, property. If you're gonna put some, um, if you're gonna move a wall. Uh, add square footage or something, you have to have uh, coverage that will cover that um, So while in, under construction. So kind of depending on the
0: type of flip I was doing and how heavy the construction is yes. will change the type of
3: policy they have. Exactly, yes.
0: So another good reason, as Pam said, so is talk to a real human versus just go online and fill out a few buttons to make sure I'm getting the right coverage for me, right? Exactly, yes. Okay. Anything else in that insurance
3: um so, so I would, as as a young investor also, uh, if something happens, um, you know, you need to take uh, some of the, the bad things that happen and pay for them yourself instead of filing an insurance claim. Because each time you file an insurance claim, it's getting more and more expensive for you to have insurance and it's going to be harder for you to cover it. So if, uh, you know, like are not smaller items, yeah, smaller items. So like somebody a couple of thousand bucks, exactly. If, if 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 your deductibles at fifteen hundred dollars or twenty five hundred dollars, and you have a thirty five hundred dollars worth of damage that you want to cover, you probably should just take the next thousand dollars out of your pocket and cover it because the more and more properties that you get, the older you know the investor Chris, and the bigger you get. You don't want all those claims on your um, your name, you know. And so, take some skin in the game and and fix things because I think that's what you know people do. Especially on autos, they have scratches on their auto. And I want to get it fixed. You know, that's a three hundred dollar fix. You know, and they want want to uh, file a claim for that. And they they their insurance just gets more and more expensive. Yeah, they can't protect themselves the right way because it's out of uh, you, maybe you have to go to weird insurance companies just to get your, uh, coverage cause you had too many claims. Okay. So. Great, great advice there.
0: Um, so one question i got asked to to make sure before we wrap up this podcast here, um, and this is definitely towards the rental route. Should I put my rental in an LLC? I get this question a lot. Pam smiled. I know she gets this question a lot. Uh, I'm sure Byron gets this question a lot. And so it's a very common question. One of the top three questions we get for investors is should I put my rental into an LLC? And the typical setup here um, is that most people are buying it in their name with a 30-year fixed, you know, conventional loan through Fannie or Freddie. Um, and that's how they're buying the property. And when you buy that type of loan, it can only be in Chris Lopez, not Chris LLC, when I close on the property. So maybe Byron, if you want to take the first, first uh stab at that. But I come to you, I'm asking that, what what does young Chris here need to con- keep in mind? And, hey, I got a loan in my name, but I can't close it in my LLC. What the hell do I do?
2: Yeah, I think, so that's a <clears throat> an important decision too, is if you are going to put it in an LLC, you certainly want to know that before you close on the property, right? We talked about this beforehand is it's very difficult to transfer a property interest into an LLC that's subject to a mortgage. You know, page 26 of the mortgage document, it'll say in very small print, there's a due on sale clause. And, you know, people out there do it. It's very, very common to transfer the interest. But at the end of the day, when you file that with the, the county clerk and you record that, um, effectively, the lender can trigger that due on sale clause and, and call your loan due. In uh, the scenario you described, you know, using Fannie and, and Freddie, and you get those kind of terms on a rental property, it would be really tough uh, me personally, I probably wouldn't be concerned about putting that in an LLC. Um, you mean transferring title from like my name? To- yeah, I would. You know, I don't even know if I would worry about doing that either. I think initially, if you do that, you know, once or twice, I think that's fine. I think when your assets start to grow, is when you really need to consider that on the front end. So, um, yeah, given that, I would say I wouldn't necessarily w- worry about putting that into an LLC. But additional investment properties, not using those institutional type lenders. Uh, I would definitely take a look at what the bank will allow you to do on the front end. Make sure you let the title company know, let the bank know that you intend to take title to the property in this single member LLC, or if you're married, you know, multiple member LLC is treated the same way. Yeah. Um, so, a little more
0: context on the yeah. So on the on the thirty year conventional, which is you know a very common loan product out there, so, you know, very great loan product that most new investors that's what they're taking advantage of. It's a thirty year fixed interest rate. Usually the best terms out there. And Byron is saying, hey, talk to a local bank when you do LLC. So that'll be like the first banks or the Westera banks, the key banks. Uh, but then can't give you a 30-year fix. It'll be a commercial loan. So a five-year, seven- or 10-year arm. Um, and a lot of times those banks, if you are getting that type of loan on rental property, in my experience, they require you to, to take title on LLC. They're like, hey, Chris, I won't give you the loan in Chris Lopez. What LLC are you putting us in there? And that's all done at closing. And you avoid that because the three options are Hey, buy the property. Don't transfer an LLC in your name. Transfer it over through like a quick claim deed or some type of transfer or do a commercial loan up front. Um, And they all have pros and cons. Pam, I know you go through a lot of this. And then the asterisk I learned on here is, you know, my primary residence, never had an LLC, but I had to then transfer my primary residence into uh, my living trust. So any comments on the LLC you know, transferring LLC and then comments on transferring my primary residence with a 30 year loan into a living trust.
1: Yeah. So I agree with what Byron said. And with your primary residence, you're typically not going to put it in an LLC because you're not using it for business purposes. So we're often transforming that into the living trust, a revocable living trust. There's lots of different types of trusts. The revocable living trust is mainly your core foundational plan. And the reason people choose that is because it's revocable, it's fully changeable. Um, you want access to that asset. And so it doesn't trigger a due on sale because the reason an LLC can trigger a due on sale is because you're kind of separating it from your personal business. Mm-hmm. Whereas with a trust, it's you. It's an extension of you. It's your social security. It's everything. So That doesn't normally trigger that. There's not an issue. Um, So you can transfer it to a living trust. And so a lot of my first-time investors um, who aren't ready to move it to an LLC, their rental property, will put it in their living trust because they want that probate avoidance component. They understand we're kind of... And then they're just doing really good insurance. And they understand that they're not going to be doing the LLC until they get a few more properties. Oh,
0: interesting. Okay. And does, uh, does a living trust, does that have the same implications as an LLC where it can trigger the due on sale
1: clause? No, so it doesn't because it's you. It's a revocable living trust. Mm. It's seen as you, so it doesn't. Um, And we can always transfer it back. Most really good mortgage lenders when we, because there's different types of trusts. So there's revocable and irrevocable. The foundational is revocable. Revocable meaning changeable. Irrevocable trusts, which are more advanced planning, which you use in certain types of situations, those can trigger it. But for kind of your foundational revocable, it's not going to trigger it.
0: All right, great. Um, so to recap here, actually, I got one more question, on LLC, um, cause you guys have seen a lot of this and I get this question. I ask you guys this question. How many times have you seen the lender call a loan due because that individual transferred the loan to the LLC? Is that a question I can ask?
2: Yeah, I've never seen it happen. To be okay. honest with you, if you keep your, your mortgage note current, Right, that's the last in their priority. They've got their hands full with people that are late on mortgage payments. So, I mean, I would tell you legally they can. Practically, if you're current on your note, you've had no late payments, and you continue to pay, you're, you're probably not a priority for calling the note due. All
3: right. So zero bill, and I would say I this Airbnb craze that's going on right now. Um, I see tons of people buying houses personally and uh they're changing right over to an airbnb and sometimes adding it into l l c and I haven't seen it you know we've had we have hundreds of homes probably that way um and I can't believe the mortgage companies aren't saying something up front you know, but it doesn't seem to be an issue with them as long as right. they're keeping up on their ham.
1: the only place I've seen it come di- become dicey is when people die
0: hmm. okay so
1: um, if you're making that transfer to the LLC and you don't have any estate planning in place, you don't have a trust, you don't have anything on the back end, you don't have anything in your operating agreement, it's going to go through probate and that mortgage lender oh, is going to get into right. I mean, they're going to get triggered anyway because you just died. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times if you're married and you just kind of hold title in your single LLC and you are not, you don't have your spouse in it, you're really setting up your spouse for a big mess.
0: So that can, I'll say that, because that could come into, i say, more advanced planning on, hey, what are you in those situations? Is that you sell the property, pay it off? Or how does that loan get restructured? Or maybe that's a, a life insurance policy help cover those coverages? Ooh, I, I want to ask that question. I'm going to say that for a future episode. Um, all right. So to, oh, one that's coming on there is I've talked to a lot of mortgage professionals, kind of the, the advice I have is the same thing. Like, hey, just, I don't need to hear that by the way. And just make sure you pay your bill on time and you know life is going to be usually good. And so I always do that as well. There's someone put it in good terms. They say, do you want the mortgage risk or do you want the liability risk? Okay. Worst case mortgage risk, loan is called due. I have to sell the property, refinance it into another commercial loan. Liability risk is someone slips and falls and I get sued and lose a lot of money. Well, I would rather take the mortgage risk versus a liability risk is how someone broke it down. That's That was kind of like the bottom line in my mind. I was like, hey, you know what? I'm comfortable with that risk, but that liability, that can wipe me out.
1: Yeah. And I think from the liability risk, you know, we haven't touched on this, but talking to Byron or working with a professional, because a lot of times when people are doing these and setting this up on legal Zoom, they're not creating the formalities and they're not maintaining the formalities. And the biggest things I see real estate investors doing is commingling assets. So when I was in litigation, I mean, I had a case on a property. It was a bar where my client was, there was a shooting at the bar. My client was just a bystander that got shot and we sued the bar. Um, That was a commercially owned real estate. Um, They commingled everything. I mean, that was my first deposition question was, um, they had done kind of a legal Zoom entity. It was multiple partners. Um, they didn't keep everything. You know, they were running their personal bank accounts and business accounts through everything. Um, they had never gone and got true legal advice to working with someone like Byron to set it up correctly and maintain it correctly. I think there's this assumption like, hey, I just need an LLC on legal Zoom and that's it. And that's really you're paying for something that's not gonna protect you.
0: All right. Great. Um, all right. So main recaps here is obviously make sure everyone on your team is talking to each other and, and talk to experts, probably minimize the DIY on the online for if you want to have the best advice, best coverage for everything and start from day one correctly as regret I have advice I will give you as yes, to cost a little bit more money back then, but it saves money and headache and most importantly, liability now. Um, so build a foundation, right a state plan really understand the risk with LLCs and how to layer that with insurance and make sure insurance covers what you need to, to cover on there. Um, And don't do any handshake par- handshake partnership agreements. Properly uh, do things up, I think would be the, the biggest mistake I have made. And I see a ton of people take that risk as well. So guys, this is awesome. Look forward to the next two podcasts with you guys. Everyone's contact details will be in the show notes. So reach out to Pam and law mother for estate planning. Check out her podcast or step a consultation with her talk out with bill for insurance. He reviewed my insurance about two months ago and man, we had some fun emails back and forth to get all these details and my specifics, which I appreciate. And Byron for all the LLC business stuff, um, All these guys are great. All the details are on there. Reach out to them and start making sure that you are protected. Thanks, everyone.